Hello and welcome to The Blind Social. This time round I will be interviewing John Attergrove. John, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Jamie. How are you? Yeah, I'm not not too bad. Um, which is like we said on the previous episode, you interviewed me and obviously it makes sense for me to then interview yourself. Um, I'm really happy to do so. Yeah, so uh, how, how have you been anyway? How's your... Have you been over the past couple of weeks? Um, yeah, the past couple. I mean, there's there's not really much. It changes week to week during lockdown. But no. yeah, you know, I think you just I've been keeping busy, just making the most of it, and you know, just hoping that we'll soon be soon be through the worst part of it. You're crunching numbers, sleep, repeat again, yeah. <laughs> you crunch numbers, sleep, repeat, and have a few beers in between. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a t-shirt. That's, that's going to be the, the podcast merch. <laughs> t- coming, coming, coming soon to the, bl- uh, to the Blame Live podcast. <laughs> Just going to be a t-shirt with your face at the top. And then that, that slogan. Crunch, Crunch numbers. numbers <laughs> in, a, in brackets with a few beers. Yeah. <laughs> and a walk with Sam. <laughs> Can't forget Sam. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We've actually been uh, this afternoon. We were out because uh, we got about two or three inches of snow overnight mm-hmm. last night. So we were out enjoying. Uh, he was enjoying a good free run in the snow this afternoon. So that was do, do, I, I, I don't mind the snow. We're, we're getting a bit in Bob's ear. It's not like settling, but it's uh, it is snowing. Yeah. Um, Albeit in February, but you know. So, from obviously, if people listen to the last episode where you interviewed me, um, we started at how I lost my sight and the condition I have. So, it makes sense to do the same with you. So, if you want to, I keep saying so, so, so much. If you want to start with how you ended up losing your sight and what caused that. Absolutely. So when I was born, I was born with two rare eye conditions, um, both related to each other, um, called microphthalmia. First one was microphthalmia, which means that both of my eyes are small, small eyes. So they didn't they didn't grow to be fully grown eyes. Mm. And a related condition to that um, is called coloboma which just means that there's a gap in the structure of the eye. And okay. um I I mean they, they they were aware that when I was born they were they were aware that there was something wrong with my eyes because they they were really really small they weren't like fully grown eyeballs but um you know the doctors, uh, the ophthalmologists, and everyone were really quite perplexed because they'd never come across anything like this before. Mm. So, so, um, and it was. I remember my dad telling me it was just one time that he had gone to the see the GP, and it was. It wasn't even uh, anything to do with me. It was something he had. He had his own appointment, but he he took me with him. Mm. And um, obviously, the, the, the my local GP knew about um, you know my conditions and that, but they weren't actually sure what it was called. And it was just in one of his he he said he said to my dad at the time he went for appointment. Oh, by the way, I was flicking through one of my medical journals. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a dictionary of um, it's not journals like a dictionary of like sort of medical conditions. And he came across this thing called microphthalmia and it was an exact description of basically what what I had so that's how I got my diagnosis of of that because up until that point there was I think even now um, there's only something like 90 around about 90 people in the UK every year that are that are born with that condition and a related condition called anophthalmia which means that uh, they just have no eyes. The eyes didn't grow at all, and so wow. the person's like completely blind. Yeah. Um, and so my so so 
when I was born, I actually had, I, 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 I've got no vision at all in my right eye, but I did actually have reasonably decent vision in my left eye. And I was able to, I went to sort of mainstream primary school, but I had uh, support workers in place to help me mm-hmm. with things like uh, reading reading the board, uh, you know, they would take notes for me, um, cause mm-hmm. I, you know, the, uh, even, though, even though I sort of sat at the front of the classroom and things like that, I still couldn't quite make out what was on the board, so I had a support worker in classes with me throughout whole, whole primary and secondary school. And was what was what was your mobility like? Was you having to use a white cane at that time, or was you kind of with that left eye getting about um, you know, good enough? Yes, yeah, during school I was I was introduced to a long cane, but I felt that I didn't really need it. I felt I had enough vision to get about, but. I remember I was um, getting support through um, the VI services uh, through the local authority for my support at school, and they were they were also kind of like mobility instructors as well, or they linked in with the mobility team. Yeah. Uh, um, it was at the, at, then it was called Fife Society for the Blind. It's now called Seascape, but. They they tried they took me out to do like mobility training uh, with a long cane and things like that. But I mean, I I, I think you could probably relate to this that I can, you know, yeah. when you're when you're a teenager and you're out with your friends and you think that your vision's you've got good enough vision to get around, it's not a cool thing to be whacking a cane about, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I I. I did. I, I went along for the mobility training sessions, but then you know I would, and I did use it occasionally. But then most of the time it just stayed in my school bag, and I didn't use it. Yeah. Um, but it was only actually um, shortly after I'd uh, left college actually that um, I got diagnosed with a really. Uh, it was also a, a rare strain. It was quite an aggressive strain of glaucoma in my left eye that um, uh, that started to cause the deterioration in my vision. And the normal strain of glaucoma, it's quite a slow deterioration. So it's like it, your eyesight deteriorates, your peripheral vision deteriorates uh, gradually over time. But this was. Mm. This was quite a rare, aggressive strain that um, I'd, I'd got in my left eye. And it started deteriorating uh, really rapidly. So I would start noticing changes almost like week to week, month to month. Mm. And it was only when I would be walking down the street, because I worked at RNIB at this time, Okay. Um, so I would be walking down the sort of uh, Princess Street in Edinburgh, and I'd be walking into people. You know, I'd be brushing shoulders with people, or uh, hit hit my shoulder off a lamppost, and I'd be like, "Oh man, I didn't see that there, or I didn't see that person there." And that's when I start to go, "Right, oh shit, this is really starting to become a bit more difficult than it used to be." Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I got in. Uh, that's when I got in contact with the mobility services team again, and obviously I was going through loads of hospital appointments at this time as well because they were trying everything. They tried me on all sorts of medication, like different strength eye drops. I was on steroid eye drops at yeah. one point to try and. How how old was you at this point? Um, I would have been about. Twenty two, twenty three ish. Okay. Twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, round about then. Yeah. Um, and so I was on like, uh, they tried me just on regular eye drops. Then I was on like steroid eye drops, and none of it was working. So they offered me this um, operation. Uh, I, I, I can't, I can't remember, remember the name of it, but I'm sure it was like, it was basically like a tube that they would insert into the bottom of your eye 
and it was supposed to drain the fluid that was building up there, causing the causing the pressure at the back of your eye. Mm, I've so, had that same thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a it's quite a common procedure now, but I think back then it was quite a quite a new thing. Mm. Like I said, there'd only been about thirty people in the UK that had had it or something. Yeah. When I when I went for it, and so obviously because they were doing that, I had to go under general anaesthetic um, to get it done. Uh, and I remember, I remember going into the hospital that day. It was really, really early in the morning. I had to be in at the hospital for about half past seven because they were going yeah. to keep, they were going to keep me in overnight as well, just to monitor how I was afterwards. And um, I remember going into the theatre, and I remember the anaesthetists uh, putting in the the general anaesthetic and. The next, the next thing I remember was was waking up, and I remember I could only, I could, I could see worse than what I did before oh, wow. before the operation. So all I, all I could make out was shapes and shadows and a bit of movement. And I remember saying this to to the to the consultant, to the doctor who came to see me after the operation to see how I was. I remember saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, can't see. I says, I, I like. I can only make out it's very fuzzy and it's shapes and shadows, no particular details or anything. And I remember her saying she was like, "Yeah, well, that we've put like a really strong eye drop in your eye to dilate your eye really quite large while we did the operation, so that's quite normal. That should wear off in about twelve hours or so. So that kind of settled me down. But I was like, right, okay, fair enough. But you know, the next day my vision was still the same. And the day after mm-hmm. that, and the day after that, it just wasn't getting any better. Um, so I mean, they still say that it was a successful operation. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, they still say it's a successful operation because it's done what it's meant to do. Is it released the pressure? It's it's released the pressure from from high and the and the 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 drainage system that they've installed in my eye is actually doing what it was meant to do but it's actually left me with you know only only damaged your eyesight (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah basically yeah so i mean the last the last thing i remember actually seeing in detail is um the anaesthetist while he was putting the general anesthetic into me and then that's it that's my last sort of visual memory wasn't even a woman I shouldn't say that. No, exactly. I know. <laughs> it wouldn't have been so much. It was like a 70 year old anaesthetist. Oh, uh, um, so, so, so you was like, what, mid 20s then? What, yeah. What, what, was your, what was your idea then to go from now? See, you've now got less vision than you had prior to the operation. Did, did you just carry on? Were you still working at the RNAB at that time, and did you just carry on with that? Yeah, I was. I, I was still at RNIB, and I actually had, um, I'd already, because my vision had started to deteriorate a couple of years before I had this in, uh, operation, I, mm-hmm. I also had my first guide dog at, the, at that time as well. Okay. And I remember um, after my operation, RNIB were incredibly supportive, you know, they... Well, I mean, you would expect them to be their, uh, yeah. You know, they're a, they're a sight loss charity, so, um, and they they were able to provide lots of support, and uh, it was it was I went through a time where it was really quite almost a depressive stage because I had to, I mean, I had I had an iPhone and a Mac and an iPad and things like that, mm. um, but I'd never had to use voiceover or anything like that so i had to learn how to use mm. use voiceover on my devices uh, uh, and that that would have been like the baby stage of voice wouldn't it yeah absolutely it was basically like having to you know waking up from this operation having to learn how to do everything that again um, I was, every yeah it was it was literally having to almost rehabilitate myself well, not mm-hmm. myself. I didn't have to do it on my own, you know. I got the support. Yeah, you, you gain your independence back. 
and yeah, and it was it was around about this time that my first guide dog uh, was retiring as well. And so I was like, I mean, it was at one point it was, you know, it was all getting a bit too much because I had, you know, uh, rehab workers coming to the house to do, to show me, you know, how to even get around my own house because that I had to relearn how to do that, you know, by like trailing the walls and mm. uh, things like that and uh, learning how to cook again um how to even just do basic stuff like make a cup of coffee yeah. and then at the same time my my dog was retiring and i was all at one point it was all getting so much for me and you know i did go through a really sort of depressive stage and you know i i i think anybody who was around me at that time would probably agree with me that you know, I just really wasn't a very nice person to be around at that point because I just thought, you know, I thought that, you know, there's not going to be any sort of quality of life for me because it was all getting so, mm. so tough. But, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was shortly after that um, when things started to sort of settle down and I started to get into a routine again that I was matched with Sam my current guide dog, and that's what really gave me a massive, massive boost, because... Nearly survived. Yeah, it literally did, because, um, so, when you're matched with a guide dog, you go on, like, a residential training. Yeah. And, um, so, I, I was, and that's, like, for two weeks, and then after that, you sort of, uh, do, like, learning your roots, in your home area and after the two weeks residential so I went to a hotel in Edinburgh to do the residential training after I was matched with Sam and there was mm-hmm. uh, six of us on that class and they were all they were all older than me and they were all people who um, were totally blind and all people who were you know experienced guide dog owners everybody on that class you know was um, at least on their second or third dog. Hmm. So I learned loads from them. And I think being around other people who have experienced, you know, a similar similar thing um, really lifted my spirits. And, you know, I was getting trained with a new dog. So yeah. my mobility was improving. And I remember that... I, I, I've, I remember that was the... At that point, that was the most fun that I'd had in such a long time, you know. Um, and it really, it did lift my spirits because I learned so much from these people that were on the on the mm. class as well, you know. That um, that that makes me really. You just, obviously, you was working at O and I B, and obviously yeah. you would have been working with people also with their vision impaired or blind. But did you have? Did you have anyone outside of work who was also visually impaired or blind, like friends, or was that purely work and work only, apart from colleagues, obviously? Yeah, so I did. I did. There was a there was a fair few people um, who were blind or partially sighted that I worked with at RNIB, but my social life, uh, and I, I think it's, I would, you know, I would say even to this day, really. I don't really hang out with a lot of blind people, you know. I'm, I'm mm. uh, like, you know, in my sort of local area and things like that. You know, I, I, most of the people that I hang out with um, on a sort of day to day basis, or if I'm going down the pub to meet people, they're all sighted people. You know, like yeah, most of them are non disabled people as well. You know, um, so I didn't really have that sort of I think when I when I went on class with Sam, um, that was the first time I'd had like proper, you know, sort of social interaction with other, you know, blind and visually impaired people, mm. and uh, just learning so much from them. But yeah, I mean, my sort of social bubble of friends are not they're not visually impaired people. So no. they, uh, was that would that been around? What were you talking about the early early twenty ten, did you say, or mid twenty? This was about no, this was this was um so 
Where would this have been? I was, I was thinking um, social media wise. Like, when, like, when, when, at what point did that then come into play? Yeah. So I mean, this the, I was actually this when I was matched with Sam. That would have been about twenty. What year was that? Twenty seventeen. Okay, so a few yeah, years ago. And um, the sort then I started. I started becoming aware of like I mean I was I was already on like social media and that before I started losing my sight and that but it was only I would say maybe around 2018 probably mm. that I started becoming involved with the disability community particularly on Twitter yeah. that's when I sort of discovered um uh you know, there was a whole community of people there, and mm. I just I just started learning, you know, from from there, um, mm. and get, getting involved with the community. And I found, and you probably found this as well, that you know, if you're going through something, or if something happens to you, and you you know you post about it online, there's a whole community of people there who are generally really really supportive of you you know and it feels almost like a extended family to me mm. you know there's so many amazing people in that community and that's what really sort of got me involved in you know the campaigning stuff and that i do and disability advocacy and that's what that's what made me want to be a bit more positive about disability in general and Mm. Um, you know, I've I've made I've made so many so many amazing friends through the disability community on social media that you know it's been absolutely fantastic. You know, people yeah. who I would call you know genuine friends that I know that I could you know pick up the phone to any time that you know if if I was going through anything or that definitely, mm. definitely a real extended family. And for for people that obviously don't know you or don't have you on Twitter, how would you how would you describe yourself? And apart from obviously you've got your actual full time job, but what how would you describe yourself to for people that aren't aware? Um. So would it be like would you just purely just call yourself a disability advocate, or would you say it's kind of beyond that, or? I don't know. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a really good question. I have no idea what I would call myself. See, I'm not I'm not somebody who sort of kind of labels myself anything. I just kind of do what I do and post stuff without yeah. really thinking about labels in particular. But I would say probably I'm more probably more a campaign a disability campaigner and disability advocate would probably be an accurate mm. description. And I try to. Uh, one of the things that I try to do on social media is I try to put a positive spin on everything. Yeah. You know, try to be a bit more, even if you come across a really shit situation, you know, mm. I'll try to look at it from all all angles and try and see it from, you know, a particular person's perspective as well and try and put a bit more of a positive spin on things. Um, it doesn't get the kind of crazy likes that that maybe if you went on a big rant would get like maybe thousands of likes and people go oh yeah this person's ranting about this 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 way you know Twitter seems to eat that sort of stuff up you know Um, yeah the the stuff that yourself and others do it deserves much more likes than a tweet saying chicken greater than beef doesn't it (laughs) absolutely you know but uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, I don't do it for likes or retweets. Oh, no, no. You know, I I couldn't care less if, if anybody liked or retweeted it. I just want to put content out there that's positive and puts a, puts a positive spin on disability and tries to almost tries to almost normalise disability. You know, mm, to say that this 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 happens. Yeah, and, ab- yeah. Ab- absolutely. I I like your. Um, your tweets whenever you go on a stroll with Sam, and you know, <laughs> you, you you just obviously your your image description. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's some about when it it's, that goes with for anyone that um uh, has a guide dog actually. Any of those kind of tweets where like it involves the landscape and where they are. Yeah, you know, I, I just I just, I just 
and at least at least you don't have your own. Uh, at least Sam doesn't have his own uh, page. Oh, for God's <laughs> sake! <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, Jamie, you know the amount of people that go, "Oh my God, is Sam going to get a Twitter account?" I'm like, no. No, 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 he's not. What about an Instagram? No, definitely no, 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 man. It could be joint. There's there's nothing nothing wrong with being like a joint John and Sam. Oh, yeah, I I, I know, I know. And yeah, yeah, it's it's just never never been mine. Never been my cup of tea, really. Just another account you have to manage, isn't it? Oh, I, I know, I know. And but the, I mean, the thing is, these these accounts get loads of attention, you know. I'm like, they do. Uh, but I'm like, and I think it is because even if I put photos up of Sam or videos of Sam, they generally are probably the most popular tweets that I do. Yeah. Probably. Do you think it's probably just because because it's like I've noticed I remember putting a picture up of my dog when I had one last year, and yeah. it just seems to be dogs. Dogs, puppies, kittens, yeah. they all seem to be like. So I, I mean, I've often, I've often uh, thought about you know putting like a really serious, deep uh, discussion about disability, but then just shoving up a picture of a kitten or something <laughs> on, on on the post just to see if it would get that sort of same attention. But yeah, it's, it's totally, it's totally, totally irrelevant to the content of the post. <laughs> so. Obviously, you've you've been like I said, you got properly into the whole disability community in 2018. What has been your uh, highlights? Let's say, um, you know. Yeah. So uh, there's been there's been a few. What really sort of kicked off? It almost sort of kick started social media for me is when I kind of kicked off about. Um, you probably heard or even come across them these shared spaces um, which, are, which, are, which are like which are like so there's basically a shared space is like a street that has they've taken the curbs away they've taken the pavements away and just made it all one flat surface oh okay i get you now yeah um, yeah there's plenty so of them around yeah so the, the so cars and people and cyclists it's just a it's just a free-for-all Mm. You know, and that is just for for I think for any disabled person that is just you know their worst Death nightmare. Trap. Yeah, it's their worst. It's their it is it's their worst nightmare. And they, where where I live in Perth, they um they redeveloped a street, um, Mill Street here, and I went down it, and I was just like, this is. This the 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 this just is not right. So I took a photo I took a photo of it of the street, and I posted that on Twitter, and um, I just basically explained that shared spaces don't work for especially uh, visually impaired people, and mm. guide dog owners especially because the dogs are trained to find the. You know they're trying to stop at the at the curbs. Curbs, yeah. Um. So if there's no curb there, they're just going to keep walking and potentially walk you out in front of moving traffic or traffic that's coming around the corner. They don't even see. So it's, it is. It's just a death trap, and that, that's exactly what I put on social media. And that particular tweet, I I don't know why that particular one, but it just exploded. You know, it went viral. Mm. And it was picked up by the local media. It was picked up by um, a little bit of national media as well. Picked it up. Uh, the TV done a story about it, and it was a big, it was a big uh, kick up about it. Uh, and it led to me actually having meetings with the local councillors. Um, I went to the Scottish Parliament and I met MSPs over it. And I did, I did a a lot of campaigning around that, and that actually led to to me doing a wider campaign and or a sort of wider awareness campaign about accessible and inclusive design when it comes to streets. So Mm. you know that's kind of it was never my intention to get into that, and I never ever thought I would. 
because I've not, I've, I've, you know, it's just it's not usually an area that I was even familiar with or that. But yeah. ever since then, I've become like I, I've been. I, I would read policy documents on street design and uh, go to these. Uh, I, I was just before the pandemic hit. You know, in February last year, I was at a Scottish government. Uh, meeting uh, cycling by design, you know how to build cycle lanes inclusively into streets. To I, 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 I just sent me down a rabbit hole that I never ever thought that in my wildest dreams I would be, almost become an expert on accessible yeah, yeah. street design. You know, it's one. It's now sort of one of my areas of expertise just because of one viral tweet. It's mm. mental, but. That was one of my highlights. Um, another another one of my sort of highlights was um, you might have seen the story actually. It was a sort of towards the end of um, t- towards the end of twenty nineteen. Um, mm-hmm. I went to I was uh, or sorry I wasn't, but Sam was a finalist in the Assistance Animal of the Year award for the Animal Star Awards. Okay, and uh, myself and uh, my friend Amit, uh, we were we, we Amit was he was the him and Kika were the previous year's winners, so mm. they they were at the at the same at the same uh, event as us, and after after the awards, me and Amit were just sitting at the bar having a few drinks. Um, must have been about midnight or something, and uh, Sam and Kika they were absolutely flat out, um, just just chilling out like what guide dogs do. You know, they were lying there sleeping. Yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't even know they were there. You know. And this woman mm. approached us, and she was she claimed like she was really up. She was really up in our faces, like she, like you could feel the spit. From her mouth on our faces, it was disgusting. But mm. she, she was, um, she was like screaming at me and Amit, saying, "I can't believe you have these dogs lying here in a bar when they should be out there playing in a field." And I'm an animal rights activist, and this is not right. You, dogs are not supposed to be working. Dogs are supposed to be out there playing in the fields. And this is in the middle of like a hotel bar, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was almost quite a frightening experience because she was really up in our faces, just um, out of the blue as well. Just, just yeah, just I mean, we were just minding our own business, you know, just having sitting at the bar, having a few drinks, and mm. um, then you know, thankfully our sort of our husband kind of, you know, took her took her away after that. But she, I mean, even while she was leaving the bar, she was still screaming. Did she have one too many showers or something? Oh, probably she must have. But anyway, yeah, and I think I'm, was it Amit or myself? I can't remember. One of us put a. It was the next day, next morning. We put a, yeah. one of us put a tweet about that particular incident. <laughs> and again, I don't know why, but it just it, it was another incident that just absolutely went exploded. Yeah. It, it went it went viral. Um and I was asked to appear on uh T V about it. I was asked to do I did I think every single national uh newspaper covered it, like the Daily Mail, the Sun, uh-huh. um even international media. I remember seeing I remember like coming across an article about it with quotes from myself, you know, in the New York Post. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was like, wow. You crazy. made it. And you can even you can even uh, Google Google it now and you can find like there was there was stories about it in Australia, New Zealand, it was Wow. It went it went it went it almost went like global, you know. Global, yeah. I was I was just like this is this is this is insanity. And mm. like that, it was at that point where I would start to be like sitting on a train going through to Edinburgh, just minding my own business, and then you know some random passenger would be like, "Oh, you're that guy who was harassed by the animal rights activists," and I was, yeah. 
I was like, wow, okay, this is starting, <laughs> this is starting to get mental now. Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, this is this is this is crazy. But I mean, that was one of the highlights, but probably not in not Positive. in the way I would have liked it to. Have yeah. Been, but I mean, it, it, it kind of raised it raised the awareness of incidents like that do happen, but they are yeah, sort of few that, yeah. far between. Although the actual, the actual event itself wasn't so much to be, you know, shouldn't shouldn't should never happen. But then the fact that just you know to, to tell people that these people do exist and this is how they want to go about it. They don't. They don't. You know, they don't come over or say, "Can we? Uh, can we speak? Can we swap emails and speak about this?" And they just come <laughs> yeah. over and just just start screeching at you and the you know, no, and you just mind your own business. Absolutely. And you know what? If she came over and she was civil about it and just put her point of view across and we put ours I'm I'm more than happy to have a civilized debate with some about mm. something with somebody, you know, or yeah. or at least at least try to like, you know I would at least hope they would want to hear our, you know, point of view on it or let us explain why these dogs, you know are happy at what they do, you know, and she's almost she's almost description as if you like I don't know, you've been, you know, like, locked in your cage when they're not guiding you, as if, you know, they're treated like, like, you know, rodents yeah. almost, but you're yeah, not, like... I think a lot of people, a lot of people, it's one of the misconceptions about any working dog, I think. People, I mean, people don't realise they're actually only working a couple of hours a day, if that. Mm. You know, the rest of the, the rest of the time they're just lounging around being dogs, um, yeah, but that's what I mean. They, at the end of the day, they are dogs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they still get you know out to 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 play and have free runs in the park and play socialize with other dogs and yeah, they still, they still do all do all that. I mean, that, that's partly why I even post you know that that stuff on on Twitter. You know, even posting photos of Sam. You know, so people can still see that he does. Yeah, you know, get good. And the thing is, you, you, like obviously, your guide dog and a lot of well, like being every person's guide dog is treated how they deserve to be treated. But totally. you don't have, you know, just pet dogs that are treated like absolute shit. <clears throat> you, you, you probably don't see much on that. Yeah, you, I know that's what animal rights activists are fighting against. But if you if you just for a second don't just jump at someone and just hang on, let me have a look how. This guy dog is treated. Like I said, it works two, three hours a day. The rest yeah. of it is just 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 playing and lounging around. Like it's, you totally. can't you can't you can't treat someone like your cyber guide dog owner <coughs> the same as someone who literally kicks around the dog. You know what I mean? Totally. And as well, you know, pre uh, pre the pandemic, you know, there was people who would leave their leave their house at nine o'clock to go to work, come home at five o'clock and that dog's left eight hours on its own all day, you know? Whereas these dogs are out, they're working, they're happy and, you know, they're getting to be with their owner 24-7 and one of of the, you know, before I leave the house every every day, you know, especially before the pandemic, even now, Sam's well-being is always you know, one of the most important things to me. So if I if I was going out and I knew that I wasn't going to be home until after six o'clock, I'd have to make sure that, you know, I had a bowl and take his dinner with me, you know, so he could still get fed and yeah. think things like that. So, you know, I always I always sort of planned ahead in that way to make sure that Sam's well being was It's at the front of your mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is at the front of my mind all the time. So Coming on to obviously now, like as we've said a few times, the pandemic has prevented um, people like yourself from doing, you know, the more active stuff and the more you know, socialising and getting to all these events and what have you. What is is your plan to kind of stay in that that excessive? Yeah, is that the right word? Excessive, yeah, accessible uh, street design, and just expand on that and obviously continue raising awareness. Is that is that your plan going forward, or do you have kind of ideas or you know goals that you want to reach? Um, 
to be, yeah, so even during the pandemic, I've still been doing little bits and pieces of work here on accessible street design. Um, and I think, I think accessible street design also kind of ties in with accessible transport as well. You know, the two kind of yeah. go, the, the two kind of go together. So I'd like to do a little bit more work around, um, accessible transport um as well as accessible street design because i feel like i've become uh i don't think <laughs> experts the right words but i've become genius quite 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 knowledgeable around the area of, of i think of, expert is probably i know you probably don't want to use it just because you, you might be thinking you blame your own trauma but I'd, I'd i'd use the word expert to describe yeah. yourself you, if someone if a company or the council are looking at, you know, building a particular street or something, you are probably on their list of people they're going to come to in your in your area, <laughs> or or not probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I mean, they'll come to you. Like you, you will be on people's lists for advice and, you know, pointers when it comes to yeah. that matter. So, oh, yeah, I consider you an expert in that particular. I mean, I don't know how good you're the accessible street design is, but, <laughs> um, you well, know, I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, in that respect, I suppose you're, I suppose you're right if you, when you put it like that, because there is, there is certain people in my local council who actually have contacted me about, we're, we're planning to redevelop this particular street, um, would you mind coming for a walk down the street with us and you can point out where there's hazards and what we need to consider with the design. So I have done stuff like that before. Yeah. And I've done some consultation work on the tactile paving as well, mm-hmm. and, uh, the use of it. Because there's something like eight, eight different types of tactile paving. Is there? And I think, yeah, <laughs> which is... Which is mental, and I think uh, the the guidance. I think of two. <laughs> exactly, I know, and the guidance that councils are given on where to use it uh, is a. It's not. It's it's open to interpretation. Mm. So it's not clear guidance. It's um, you know, they they could interpret it the way they want to. So that's why you find weird tactile in different places. Mm. Um, so I was I was involved in a consultation around uh, updating the guidance around tactile paving and things like that. Um, that, so not, that, that that gives me an idea because I'm there might not be, but I have spoken to people. But if you don't know that tactile pavement that you see when coming up to a set of traffic lights or a zebra crossing is for uh, visually impaired and blind people. Obviously, if you're generally walking or you've got a cane. Well, if you're walking with a guide dog, a visually impaired or blind person like myself or John walking over that would then realise, you know, right, we're we're at a crossing now. Do we need to stop yeah. here? And just I'm just saying, like, I'm, there might there might not be people that, but it is something that's kind of looked over. You're right. You're right. You're, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I think if you don't actually use it, you kind of can almost miss it in a way. And you just think it's what, just like part of the pavement almost yeah so i mean you will like you you, you pointed out you you'll get the what the, what they call the blister the blister pavement uh the blister tactile uh things like pedestrian crossings so at all pedestrian crossings all controlled crossings uh there should be um blister pa- blister tactile pavement put down and at the top and bottom of stairs there should be what's called the corduroy um, tactile pavement, which is kind of like little, little, little almost like little grooves, and, and it's hard to kind of explain what it is, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a certain kind of tactile. It's called called corduroy. Okay, uh, I haven't heard of that one. That should that should be at the bottom. Well, see the guidance. The guidance is that it should be. Um, where there's a potential hazard, it could be used. So that's why they're mostly at the top and bottom of stairs, but they can actually be used in other places as well. And I think that's what's confusing, because I think even visually impaired people aren't fully aware of all the different tactiles and what they mean. 
as yeah. well. So that's why they were trying to. There was a, there was a consultation a couple of years back about updating the guidance around where to use them and when to to use them. Mm. And whilst you're on, uh, going to be going to be off here, but whilst you're on that whole street design, also someone if people don't know on when you press the button for said red, green, red, uh, amber, and green. Below that button, you have what's, what's the official term for the little spinny thing? Is that the official term? Uh, a spinning cone. Um, yeah, I'm just tactile, tactile, tactile cone. I think it is. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so that that's some people also might think that's just a thing stuck to it that's a part of it, but it's that's also actually for vision impaired and blind people or yeah. deaf as well. Um, Absolutely, and you can put Absolutely. your hand on it, and when the uh, it's when the, when the, when lights are red, that then spins. And if you use your hands on it, you can feel it spinning, and you then have the green light to cross said road. Um, so I think, which, I think I think I think it's the opposite way around. It starts to spin when it when it's safe to cross. Yeah. 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 So when it, when the green light when the green light comes on, the the, the cone underneath the yeah controlled crossing lot spins. When a green when a green man comes on, that's yeah, that's it. But that yeah. I mean that's a, that's that's a whole. I mean pedestrian crossings. That's another whole rabbit hole you can get down because pedestrian crossings themselves, the actual crossing boxes where the button is, they're not accessible either. You know, if you're in if you're in a if you're in a wheelchair or if you're um sometimes the 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 placement of the pedestrian crossings are absolutely crazy and you can barely reach them sometimes. That's why I'm gonna have a plug here. That's why uh our friend Gavin Nee, who's designed the yes. button app, yes. is a is a big a big thing, especially um, in the current times, because no yep. one wants to be touching buttons. So, yep. um, absolutely, you took took the words right out of my mouth there. I was just, <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. No, I think I think I think pre pre COVID, I think the idea was really really good for making crossings accessible uh, to everybody yeah and but i think i think uh since since the pandemic hit last year i think everybody's now really conscious about the surfaces that they're touching and you know what and that other people might have been touching as well and picking up infectious diseases and things mm. like that. So I think I think everybody's more aware of that and more conscious of it. Um so something like something like the button app that presses the button at the crossing for you, I mean you don't even have to get your mobile phone out your pocket and hit the button. It's mm. it's all done by Bluetooth. So all you have to do is you don't really have to do anything at all. You just have the phone in your pocket as you normally would approach the crossing and it'll activate the crossing for you. It's, mm. it's a genius will, idea, you know. It's, it's it's simple but so effective, isn't it? Absolutely. It um, if, if anyone is interested in that, I did do a podcast with Gavin all the way back in November now and I think we will uh, see about getting him back on to this particular series, um, in a couple of minutes' time, to see where he's got to and the progress that he's made. So, yeah, stay it, tuned. It would be a great, it would be a great episode of the Blind Social, actually. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. So, me and you, I'll, I'll speak to Gavin and we'll, we'll, we'll organise that just for people who are new and want to find out. Basically, yeah. And obviously, yes. Yeah, if, if you are one of, if you want to find out before, then just go on to your search or type in on on Google, just Neatbox N E A T E B O X. You can have a look at that. That is the stuff he's doing is pretty impressive to say the least. Um, so, so that that kind of rounds up what you're doing now. So I think we've um, pretty much covered everything. Um, hope you've all got to know John that bit better and understood who he is and what he does. Um, he's a he's a top bloke, and I'm uh, thankful for you. Taking an hour and a half year, your week, every other week to record these. Um, so yeah, I hope no, you have enjoyed. It's, 
it's an it's an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. I really really enjoyed doing the blind social episodes with you. It's, it's, we'll, it's, we'll it's, always, it's always a good laugh, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's what it is at the end of the day. And like, like we were saying last week about my podcast as a whole, obviously you got my interviews that are mostly serious and you have my other not quite page three, which is, isn't serious. And I think what we do is a good mixture of the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Kind of combines both, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and we've also got a few uh, special guests, let's say, coming up over the next uh, what six well three episodes six weeks or so yeah uh, I'm really really excited about some of the some of the upcoming episodes of the blind social it should be really yeah great. so um, yeah if you are interested in the new make sure you subscribe and do your your follows drop a rating comment it helps me out and it makes me look good obviously um, and yeah also John you did an interview with Robert. His, name, his surname escapes me every time. Yeah, that's right. I did. A, I did an interview a couple of weeks back with um, a good friend of mine called Robert Meikle. Um You can find the you can find the interview through his Twitter page. Um, I think it's Robert Robert and Guide Dog Winnie. Um, mm. there'll, be a, there'll be a link on there to the to the to the interview. That was a that was also a really fun fun interview to do. Mm. And I did yeah, definitely check that out. I did a uh, journeys episode at the weekend, which is also with a blind man by the name of Sebastian. Um, pretty cool dude, if I say so myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I listened to that one. That was that was that was a really really quite an interesting episode. Actually, it was quite quite a different perspective almost on. Yeah, I think the fact that he's American. Um, yeah, and he's had a different route into. The uh, the world of being blind as well, obviously. Definitely. Um, so yeah, go and check that out. Um, that's a, it's a juicy, almost two hours, I believe. And I think there's so much we didn't touch on in that episode, which will probably mean at some point we will do a second part. So, so yeah, check out that. Check out Not Quite Page Three, which came out this time last week, and any other episodes that tickle your fancy. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.